Welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Carter, and I'm here with my good friend, Colby. Uh, And today, we are going to do a book review for Angela Duckworth's Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And this is really going to be kind of catered towards, I think, creative grip. What is creative grit? Can we describe it? Colby's going to walk us through the main ideas of the book. I haven't read the book, so we're going to look to him for kind of the bones of the argument. So, Colby, I'm going to hand it over to you, main ideas, kind of set up the framework. I'm excited. I've been wanting to talk about this with you for a bit, and uh, it'll be fun. So the book is really a story. It, it's two things. One, it's a great nonfiction, just studying what is the science of success and is asking this question, is success a product of talent? of skill, of hard work and just grinding it out, luck or the cards you're dealt, whatever that may be, or is it this thing called grit and what is grit? And it's additionally, it's kind of this narrative of the author, Angela Duckworth, how she's been studying this thing for like, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever, however many years it is, and carved out an interesting career path around these different scholarly ideas. And so it sort of draws on her narrative of learning about grit, exploring this idea and becoming grittier herself and like learning that you can become more gritty over time. So that's kind of my quick summary of the book is really just a a study of what makes people successful, but it really hones in on this idea, the central thesis of the book is that it's not just about being super talented. It's not just about working super hard, but there's actually a meeting place between some talent, but also hard work. That's, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, actually. Let's just stop there. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's a perfect, I think, overview. I take it that the ingredient that she ends up kind of focusing on what's the kind of I won't say secret but what's the key prerequisite maybe to success is grit so then how does she define grit is this is this just perseverance or is there something different than a stick-to-itness or maybe you could just kind of speak for a minute here about how Duckworth goes on to define grit as a concept Okay, so the definition is actually in the subtitle, really. her She talks about grit being passion and perseverance for long-term goals. That's essentially all it is. So passion being not just something that you, you know, I was born with this, but it could be something that's cultivated over time. I think that's a really interesting idea. But then uh, the perseverance is not simply never giving up no matter what, even if the world's against you and saying this is a terrible idea, but rather you have a big goal that you're going towards and the small details can change. And so you you can say no to things and like fall off and, you know, drop some balls and not juggle everything perfectly. That's okay. But it's about, I have this compass in this direction and am I sticking with that over the long term? So those are some of the big ideas that stuck out. I want to talk more about that goals thing later, but yeah, that's how she defines it. That's really helpful because I could see both of those if we take passion and perseverance as 
the two converging vectors or however you want to say it, I can see each each of them being insufficient on their own because you've got the passion project, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that you're casually doing yeah. that you never really stick to and you want to be a painter, mm-hmm. you want to be a writer, but you don't really write, but you don't really paint and, it's, and you're passionate about it, but it doesn't have that accompanying perseverance, right? And I think the same way in maybe a little less intuitive Man, our perseverance is kind of like that as well, and that if it's just perseverance, you could get kind of hard-headed or unnecessarily fixated mm-hmm. on something where the passion might be gone, and it may just be drudgery. So you, you've got the issue of drudgery, but you may even also have the issue of you lose the vision. If it's just about perseverance and doing it, you kind of lose that lightning in a jar that you've mentioned before. I don't know who that was, but you lose that thing which you're Mm. persevering to do in the first place. And so perseverance in that way, I think, too, is insufficient. So you kind of have to have them fuse in a way. I think that's that's a really helpful framework. Yeah, if I had to put this podcast into a category, I would call this episode a sustain episode for sure, because it's all, it really is about thinking long-term, having a bigger vision for your life and your work. And the perseverance piece, I think, is probably the biggest idea about grit. Because you don't have to be... I don't think that you have to be the most passionate person about writing something in order to persevere. You need to have a lot... Maybe I'm going to contradict myself. You do need a lot of passion in order to get through the storms and get through the the valleys and the deserts and the dry seasons and things like that in your career or your craft or whatever it is that you're passionate about. But you don't have to be the most passionate about that, the greatest. I mean, actually, I think the biggest myth that she's trying to dispel with this book is that you don't have to be the greatest. Mm. Like that's maybe where I should focus. Like we're fed this belief that it's all just talent. And then what happens is there's a misattribution. So you see the Olympic athlete do this incredible feat and you say, wow, they're so talented. But what you basically just said is, well, only talented people can do that and it's all attributed to talent when that's not fair. It's not the only cause of those effects. And you don't, you can be extremely talented sure. and wither that talent away is one situation. You could be not as talented, but much harder worker than that other person and then go further. And you also could be super talented and super hardworking, but then just stop after however many months or years or whatever it is. And then someone else could just keep going. And that is going to lead to, you know, more success because they're just in the game essentially. And so I think that the big myth and big idea that, that she wanted to see, like, is this really true? Is, is it really all about talent? That makes total sense. And here's the thing that I think is what's deceptive about that myth is that to some degree, there's a element of truth to that. So I would be a much better basketball Mm -hmm. player if I was 6'10 and 250 but I'm not, <laughs> right? So there's right. there's of there's course. limitations, right? That specific talents 
give parameters to. And so I think that's the little bit of mm-hmm. truth. But you're totally True. right. right. What we do, though, is that we use that as an excuse to kind of, I think, build up a wall for ourselves. And like, oh, they have talent. I do not have whatever X factor that is. And so I can almost kind of let myself mm-hmm. off the hook <laughs> in a way of like, mm-hmm. like I, exactly. I just can't do it. I mean, oh, well, I, I don't have that whatever X factor, whatever that might be. And so therefore, I'm disqualified from participating in that thing I admire. And so I think that's... That seems exactly what she's getting after of that you don't let this become a roadblock for your development of just trying to in a defeatist way being like I'm just not talented enough. So I think something to back up and say that's worth noting is that this book was very heavily researched and scientifically backed and that was her lens was to be as objective as she could and data backed as she could be it's not perfect of course but it's i think it's just it's it's really not a book of touchy-feely but very like here's the stories here's the data let me lay it out for you but it's also not just super dry and academic so just a plug for the book it's it's really well written and it's also very well researched so it gives me a lot of confidence in the ideas and she tackles all those little nuances that you just described very well but Going back to the main subject at hand here, I think that she drills down on this a little deeper. She actually spent a lot of time developing these two formulas. The first one is talent times effort equals skill. And then the second one is that skill times effort equals achievement. And the result of that is that effort counts twice. So you kind of use those two formulas together and it's her idea is that if you, if effort is a variable in both equations, then it's more meaningful. It's more valuable and it ties directly into grit. So talent. So let's say my talent is at a one and my effort is at a nine. I still might not go as far as someone who's got a nine talent and a nine effort, but I could go further than someone who has an eight talent and a one effort, you know? And so it's, it's not a perfect mathematical thing, but it's, I think it's a powerful idea of just how do you get skill? You have whatever talents you have, that is maybe the, the uncontrollable in this equation, but then the effort is the controllable. And then from that you get skill. And then once you have whatever skill you have, then you reapply, you have, you just keep putting in the hours, putting in the effort and practice and that's where you get your achievements from. Dude, I love that. I like that for so many different reasons. You know, one, it's I think it's helpful in thinking about how maybe you don't have the talent. Well, guess what? That's not even the product of the first equation. That's just a way to get your skill. And so where you end up with the skill, maybe you're going to need a right. whole lot more effort if you don't have as much talent. But, you know, you, if you've got, right, let's just... <laughs> We're getting into math here. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got, let's just Public say, if no, you've no. got, you've got a two in talent, we'll go very simple, and mm-hmm. you give it a four in effort, right? You're going to end up with eight. So maybe you had to give a lot more effort than someone who had a four in talent and a two in effort, right? They got to give half as much effort as you did to get to the same skill. But For here's the, same the cool result. thing. Mm-hmm. Guess what you guys bring to the next equation? The same exact skill. 
which I love that because I think there's a lot of truth in that because it's mm. not just about talent and effort. I like how this is staged and that then you have to apply that skill, which there's, I mean, that's a whole nother issue at hand. And another thing that, and so I really like how they're separated. I think having a dual approach in that way is very accurate to the actual real life scenarios. Mm-hmm. But two, what I really like, or I don't know if it's I really like it or it came to my mind, I think a lot of times we try to cut these down to one and we say effort times talent should equal achievement and we're trying to cut out a big part of the process. So if we think about this like creatively, I think sometimes it's like, oh, you've got talent, you need to work hard and then there's achievement. But that's kind of a abridged version of the process that there's actually this time where you need to develop skill and that's a you know an Mm. equation in itself and it can be frustrating if you're throwing effort 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 at talent and you're expecting achievement but achievements it's you're not in that equation yet you know Mm. yeah that's really well said it's like you're looking for the the outcome of a later stage of development in a way it really is interesting it's like man i'm making all this stuff why isn't it blowing up or why isn't it making money or why isn't it hitting these achievements or in a gallery or whatever it may be maybe it's because this is time for you to develop that it's sort of developing your prerequisite which maybe doesn't feel as great still but it is helpful to to separate okay what am i working on right now am i just developing and honing my skill or am i using my skills to you know, achieve something. I don't know. I mean, it's sure. not like a clean break though. It's sure. not like you do this for two years and then you get your badge and you get to go on to achievement <laughs> yeah. mode. But I do think that it's helpful to to separate these two things out and say, okay, there's different stages of life and different stages of work in my career. Maybe I shift back and forth. Yeah, I think that's good. And I, I love that within that scenario, Duckworth has identified effort as being the the double factor and it's also the thing that you can directly control. I mean, and this is, I mean, this even goes back to, in some ways, mm-hmm. stoic thought in that what do you have control of? Your response to the environment around you. And that's kind of what we have with effort, right? You can, the effort you can show up with, regardless of the tools in the toolbox, the skill, I mean, are the talent. And as you're developing the skill, it's like, it's hard to, like quantify am I you know what I mean like if I was to say like what skills do you have as a music producer like that's such a vague strange question of like what are you really skillful at and immediately you would start saying well you know I'm pretty good at this I don't know if I call myself skillful you know I mean at least that's how I would answer that question if someone's like yeah you'd have a couple ideas of what your skills were but it's hard to like say am I at skill level seven or am I skill level three you know Compared to what? But the effort, that's something that's so practical. All right, where to next in the book? So good, yeah. And one, the other thing I'll say on that note of these equations is, of course, there's the equation of just your life circumstances. And she doesn't really talk Mm -hmm. about that much. But, of course, there's, you know, for some might, might be luck or whatever they would call it. For me, it's faith in God. But I think that, that is obviously just a factor that's that's really sharp. from the equation. At least as a side note for me personally, is like 
it's not only uh, even just time and place. And Bill Gates was at a has talked a lot about you know how it was like if I didn't go to the school, I didn't have access to a computer, I wouldn't do computer programming, and I wouldn't sure. make Microsoft. And it's just one thing leads to the next to the next. And I think that's a piece that's it's not really worth going into because that's out of the scope of this book. And I think that's why she left it out kind of reasonably, but just something to mention. Yeah. Um, maybe she goes into it and I don't recall, but that's a side note. But yeah, there's so many other things. I, I wanted to share just the four like pillar pieces of the book. And the big idea here is that the, it's like the second of three sections of the book. It's called something like grit can be developed. And it's good news. It's like, okay, you, you're not just either, super gritty, hardcore, going to crush it. Jocko. and Or you super, you know, <laughs> exactly. Or just, you know, constantly giving up on everything you start. You're, there's, it is a spectrum, but it's not a spectrum where you're stuck and you, whatever you were on day one, that's where you're going to be on day a thousand. So that was in and of itself encouraging to me, just this idea that it's something that can, can be cultivated because, Everyone likes comfort. Everyone likes to be lazy. Everyone wants to take the easy path, of course, but there's ways to change and grow and develop. And so the four chapters that she breaks into, the first one, she has like a chart on how to develop or how to assess your grittiness. So you could go online, look that up, kind of do a test to see how gritty you are, which is interesting in and of itself. But then the next sections are interest. That's about cultivating your passions, practicing, and she really dives into the idea of deliberate practice. So taking like the thing you're the weakest at and really working out that muscle. And that is the difference between doing the way they'd say it is doing the same job 20 years in a row or so having 20 years of the same experience one time over or 20 true years of building experience that compound on each other. And then the third chapter in that section is purpose connecting your work to society, to people, the world, how it impacts others, gives you more fuel for that perseverance and passion. And then the fourth section is hope, which is really just having a growth mindset and believing that I can actually get better at this thing. Like I might stink at it right now and be, I can be better tomorrow. And that's a really, she talks a lot. It's about self-talking about what we're told the narratives of talent and genius and things, while there are, of course, the edge cases that are totally true, they do teach us something about how we can't do anything or we're out of control or just kind of give up. You know, there's a lot of narratives baked into those ideas. So the hope chapter was one of the most encouraging in the whole book for me because it really was, hey, if you're going to change, you have to believe you can change. And that's kind of fundamental to we're always a little discouraged of something we create and you have to believe that you can make something better if you don't want to give up, essentially, if you want to persevere. Those are really helpful. I wonder if you could take this here and shift it on to the creative framework for us. Where do we encounter moments that require mm -hmm. grit in the creative process how do we instill that? You know, I think we've got a powerful paradigm or mental model here with the grit framework. What does this look like for the creative? 
how does this play in our process? If we're even going back to kind of creative first principles of create and revise and share and sustain, where do we see the grittiness? I would love to hear thoughts on that. I'd also hear my inclination is that grittiness is not necessarily opposed to sustaining, right? I think there's a way you can misread grit as something that you're going to burn out with because you're never going to stop, which is, I don't think the idea. And so maybe two things there. One, what are your initial thoughts on how this plays into the creative process or maybe even the arc of the project, which we talked about for Cleon before? And then two, what about the possible misreading of this is kind of diametrically opposed to sustaining? I'm going to throw those both your way. You can you can throw them back or you can do, yeah. <laughs> do whatever you want. I think that for the first one, and I don't know if this is an answer to both of them or not, but for that first question, so much of grit is about passion and perseverance for a long-term goal. That's the, really the core definition. So taking that definition, what does it mean? Break it down a little bit. So the first one is passion and perseverance for, uh, actually, I just want to hone in on the, the, the high-level goal part of it. So one of the most helpful parts of the book is where she describes, she tells a story of Warren Buffett, famous billionaire investor, owner of Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway. He was meeting with this businessman and was helping him prioritize some things in his company. And so he said, I want you to write down the top 30 projects on your plate right now circle three, and then that list of all the things you didn't circle is what you need to just work as hard as you can to avoid because it's distracting you. It's keeping you from your goals. And she talks about how she first heard that story and was like, there's no way, like 30 things. That's who has those. And then she started writing her goals down and it was like, okay, yeah, 25, 26, 30 is like, okay, I do have 30 different projects. But the difference is, she started to see, and this might've been something I'm left out of the story just now, that those, a lot of those goals actually laddered up to two or three of the same bigger, higher level goals. And, and so she breaks down a chart, just imagine a circle in the middle of a page with, you know, some lines coming out the bottom, two lines, and then two circles, right? Those are your sub goals. And then below those two circles, you have two or three more. Those are your sub sub goals, right? There's all these levels of tasks that we have. We might have a goal for the day or the week, but then we have a quarterly goal or an annual goal, right? And so the whole idea of perseverance in a long-term goal is I want to go somewhere as a music producer, but I don't have to hold this tight fist that if I don't finish this one song that I'm no longer a gritty person because grit is not just constantly doing hard things and making yourself miserable grit I think that's sort of the tone that sometimes grit sounds like just like sure do whatever sucks and whatever feels really painful and just push <laughs> yeah. through it and it's gonna be a grind that's gotta be good yeah because <laughs> it's gotta be good for you not necessarily and maybe this is a good time to pitch the book effortless by Greg McEwen which is all about why you don't necessarily have to work harder or always take the hard path. But really grit is about, hey, I chose to go north and this project 
turns out it's not going to be possible. I'm too busy. Something came up. It's not inspiring, but it's, there's this other thing. Well, it's really just a question of, is this other thing a shiny object or a rabbit trail that's leading me west? Or is it just a different sort of one of those smaller circles that actually is still heading generally north? You know, maybe it's northeast, but I'm still moving up. Like, I think that's the idea that hopefully answers your question, just that grit is about moving in a direction and freeing yourself up from those low-level goals. Yeah, that's helpful. Do you recall who had the metaphor of putting the big stones in first and then the sand? Is that effortless or is that a Cal Newport thing? I think that it it's definitely in the book Essentialism, but okay. I think it the first time I heard about it was through Art of Manliness. Okay. But I don't know. It's probably been around a number of places. Yeah, that's that's kind of what came to my mind. It's very similar though. Yeah, of like with the three things of you've got to kind of orientate yourself towards the essentials mm-hmm. because I think a lot of times and we've I mean it's just kind of what you said that we've talked about this the all those other things are actually just in service of a couple things but we act like they're the same weight like they're weighted the same but if it was your final grade in a course like <laughs> they're not weighted the same <laughs> you've got a couple like participation yes, grades yes. that are working you towards a you know 30% project but you're treating them like they're all of equal importance which is just crazy and once you recognize that you're like oh okay mm-hmm. then things can kind of fall into place so it's not like i feel like it's not like you ignore stuff it's that you put stuff in its right place. And I think by putting stuff yeah. in its right place, yeah, you allow yourself to get into more meaningful work. Maybe this is where deep work and grit come together in some ways. I don't know. That makes total mm-hmm. sense to me. I think it's compelling. Yeah. There's a story in there, too, of a New York Times cartoonist who talks about their acceptance rate on the number of submissions they did. Maybe this will be some encouragement for you in the writing realm. They pitched, I mean, there it was like three out of 100 or something, maybe even two or one or two out of 100, maybe lower. It, it was insane. Make 100 cartoons, maybe get one to three accepted. And I, I those numbers should be double-checked because they're probably too gracious. Like, it was pretty rough. And that really was where she tied in this idea. Like you have to have a direction you want to go if you're going to persevere through something like that. Now that doesn't mean that you have to finish every single cartoon you start drawing, but it means you have to be comfortable with those years of failure, those submission after submission of failure, because it's not about the little win. It's about the long-term paying off. Um, And there's this great quote she throws in there, an old proverb, fall seven, rise eight. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a great short synopsis of grit is just, just not giving up and persevering. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy or fun, but just, I think staying in the game, it's really sustaining. It's really just, it doesn't mean never give up on a specific tiny idea, but it does mean don't throw in the towel, say I'm not a writer anymore, or don't say I'm not a music producer anymore and just give up that it might be measured more in years and decades than in, you know, days and songs, if you will. I think that's it's really well said. And, you know, I'm just reminded with this idea of rejection too, which I just got one the other day. I think it was yesterday, the day before that. Right. Oof. It's just part of it's 
I think they become difficult. I mean, they're always going to be a little bit of a tinge of like, oh, okay, getting shut down. But one, mm-hmm. you've got a rich history of almost every, at least writer that you read about gets tons and tons and tons of rejections. <laughs> I mean, London Steinbeck and Ray Bradbury. Yeah. I mean, you just go on and on. I mean, just everybody's getting rejected. I mean, there's some people that are, you know, almost immediate. But what I wanted to get at is you have to have that kind of North Star or that broader orientation to make you stay in the game even with the rejections. So maybe an example might help with, you know, if I write a poem and I can tell that this is a progression in my craft and this is better than what I was writing last year and I write something that I that I you know within my cultivating artistic taste right. I say, hey, this is this is something that is good. There's got to be a degree of like pursuing excellence in a craft that even if it's not recognized, there's still a reward. And I think that's I think the best artists are often like that. There's and there's a certain confidence that comes from recognizing your work when you're not measuring all your quality by achievement. And I think in sometimes mm-hmm. achievement can be super deceptive, right? We've talked about this before. Something successful, we immediately think, oh, is it, it must be of really good quality. Maybe, but maybe not. Something's not successful. Maybe it is now. Maybe you've got a museum named after you, you know, a hundred years after your death, uh, like Van Gogh's got, right? It's so it's like mm. achievement mm. can be so fickle. And so you do need some broader pursuits that are of more substance than just recognition. And I think grit's mm. trying to, to use that as fuel in some ways. It's like part of being gritty is taking that passion and taking that perseverance and continuing despite failures in kind of more traditional metrics of success because oftentimes those metrics of success are, are measuring the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. That's well said. I know we need to wrap here. I had two more thoughts. Go for it. If we could finish up on those. The first one is on the idea of purpose and Side note, I th- I feels like it'd be worth an episode where we, or even a conversation, uh, just some time of where, where is that compass going for you and for me? Because I know it's something that I'm wrestling with a lot, and I think it'd be cool to talk through some of those things. Because I feel that, you know, tension of like, oh, I could go this way, I could go that way, I could work on this project and this thing. Just trying to figure out like what's, what is this stuff all laddering up to, or am I getting pulled four yeah. different directions? I totally feel that tension right now and I'd love to talk about it, but stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. The last two thoughts I'll leave you with are one, this is a beautiful kind of metaphor for the purpose in your work and whether that's small or large. And as a story of three uh, bricklayers, the first bricklayer is laying bricks. Someone walks up, Hey, what are you doing? I'm laying bricks. They walk up to the second person who's laying bricks and say, hey, what are you doing? I'm building the church. And then the third one walks up to that third bricklayer and says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building the house of God. And so she talks about this metaphor and how there's always a different lens that we can look at our craft from. And so we might be saying, what are you doing? I'm taking a photo, you know, and you can ladder that all the way up to I'm capturing the human experience or I'm 
shedding light on the beauty of this person or whatever it may be. Yeah. There's something deeper that we're always engaging in if we pay attention to so it. So well said. And I think that's a really beautiful idea from the book. Yeah, I and mean, that's totally well said. I think those are the things that are meaningful to us too. And I think there's a um, there's a quote from G.K. Chesterton where he says, I'm, I, don't, I won't try to actually paraphrase it exactly, but he says basically, you've got love and you've got duty. And when love comes first, and that's the orientating star, right? Your duties then find their place. But if duty is the reason why you're doing it and it's not compelled by something else, he's like, it's the worst drudgery. It's just stuff you have to do. And so you have to have that kind of purpose or that, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be incredibly precise, but I think it does have to be orientating because if you just, they have to be in the right order. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, you're just laying bricks. That's really well said. I love it. So the last thing I'm going to end on is a quote of the week. So at the end of the book, she shares a quote from Ta-Nehisi Coates, and he's a MacArthur fellow and incredibly renowned writer, and he talked a little bit about his writing process. So we obviously should listen up. And he said, in a three, and this is a quote from her, in his three-minute video posted on the MacArthur website, the first thing Coates says is, failure is probably the most important factor in all of my work. Writing is failure, over and over and over again. And then later she shares a poem that he wrote It's a description of what it's like for him to write. The first, so I'll just read this. The challenge of writing is to see your horribleness on page, to see your terribleness, and then to go to bed and wake up the next day and take that terrible and take that horribleness and that terribleness and refine it and make it not so terrible and not so horrible. And then to go to bed again and come the next day and refine it a little bit more and make it not so bad, and then to go to bed the next day, and do it again, and maybe, and make it maybe average, and then one more time, if you're lucky, maybe you get to good, and if you've done that, that's a success. And I think that's just, I just thought that was a beautiful summary of how a lot of the creative process, at least for me, is really not sexy, and is just making something crappy, and making it a little bit less crappy every time I sit down to work on it. And then after a while, that kind of stacks up to, hey, I kind of like this, and I'm ready to share it. And it's so simple, but difficult to do. (laughs) What do you think about it? I think that's right on, and that is so in line, or we're in line with it on the uh, our revise, right? So Creative First Principle, we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. The revision process is like sculpting where you're trying to get more and more detailed, but you can't get there until, right, you you get the the rough outline. And it's always going to start there. And, you know, the one thing I thought about, and this is something I don't think we've talked about before, in some ways it's a good sign that you recognize that your work's inadequate (laughs) because that means to some degree you've got an artistic taste that can see your deficiencies. I think it may be even more scarier when you don't mm. recognize the inadequacy of your work because then you're kind of taking mm. away the opportunity to grow, 
right? You, if there's nothing that you can improve on or there's nothing that can be taught for you, it's like your growth is done <laughs> because because you think you've arrived and yeah. your artistic taste is not calibrated how it should. And all the great writers, right? Even the ones like, so Faulkner, when, when he had, I think it was The Sound and the Fury, he gave it to his editor and he's like, like, this thing is so good. <laughs> There's, there's a, there's even something like that. He's a writer that recognizes that a lot of what you're writing is not going to be good. Like he's a craft guy, right? And so even, it's not saying don't have confidence in your work because I think there is a place to instill confidence. Recognize when you have something good. Mm -hmm. But if you recognize also your insufficiency in ways it's not a good, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that could be a good thing. That means you've got your artistic taste is working and it's, it's distinguishing. And, and like that should be encouraging because if you can distinguish what's not working, typically you're halfway there to figuring out what does work. Mm. That's a great note, man. Self-awareness. I love it. Any other thoughts before we wrap? I'm just looking at the stamp of Faulkner that I've got above my desk. I just kind of looked up and saw him like, oh, he's right there. (laughs) (laughs) Just talking about you. It's amazing. Oh, this was a good episode. Thanks for letting me talk about it, man. It was a great book and one I hope to revisit and just keep putting into practice, really. So hope it encourages someone else. Stay tuned for some new content. Yeah, that's right. We need to tease out. We've got something something brewing, something working that'll be coming out in a few weeks. So stay posted. All right. I think that's it. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com, H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.